Hello, I'm Chris Preston, and I'm one of the founders of The Culture Builders. And I'm Jane Sparrow, co-founder at The Culture Builders. And this week's episode is all about the challenges that leaders are going to face now and in the future. Welcome to The Culture Builders podcast channel, looking at how individual and team performance builds strong cultures. Hosted by Jane Sparrow and Chris Preston. You are listening to a deep dive episode. At the time of recording this, it's the last week, on indeed the last day of June, and I'm seeing... LinkedIn covered in posts of senior leaders saying things like out of office on, brain switched off, no tough stuff for me for a week or I'm out of here, summer's coming. And it feels more than ever that the leadership population across the world needs space and time just to pause and stop. The last three years has has been tough, very tough. And not just because of a pandemic, but because the world has suddenly got so much more complex. And there are numerous factors coming into play that leaders have got to both understand, absorb and then respond to. And some of the basics are still there in terms of challenge. You know, we've got teams that are struggling with resilience. We've got the idea of emotional intelligence being pushed strongly. We've got middle managers and the fact that we need to make sure that our middle managers are capable and able to support and deliver the business. We're more international than ever as a, as a world and as a business culture. So how do we deal with that, that interplay of cultures? How do we bring in awareness of other people? What about our team dynamics? You get the idea. It's a long list. And we still have to deliver a, a business. And we still have to deliver a business with people who are asking for a change in work dynamics, a change in their life, and fundamentally are asking, where's our purpose? So it's tough right now to be a leader, and many of them tell us it's a lonely place. So I'm joined by Jane, so I'm not quite so lonely. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Jane. So, Jane, I've just reeled off lots of stuff, and I think to make sense of this podcast and to give some value, I suggest we we focus on three things. The first is empowerment and how you build an organization where you can truly empower. Strategic thinking and the space and the time to do that. And the last one will save the, the, the doozy for the end, which is burnout. Yeah, and all of what you've talked about, Chris, are the issues, the challenges, the opportunity, of course, that the leaders that we're working with across the globe are telling us that they're facing. So I love the fact that you started off with your, your glance at LinkedIn this morning. But of course, it's more than that, isn't it? It's These are the, the things that we are helping people with in businesses of every shape and size. And those three things are really common, no matter what the industry people are within. So let's give a little bit of our thinking and maybe some tips in each area. Okay, let's try and keep it practical. So empowerment first, and just to set the scene, let's kind of give a hypothetical situation, uh, which actually is based on a lot of reality, that senior organisations, senior groups are saying to us regularly, we just can't seem to kind of get our next layer down to catch fire and take on the challenge themselves. 
Yeah, the need for more than the exec or more than that senior group at the very, very top to be driving the business has never been more. And in theory, saying, I empower you, I am going to empower our senior leadership group or community uh, shouldn't be too difficult. But of course, there are so many dimensions to think about, not least, by the way, that many of the businesses we're working with have started down this route and then trading conditions have become tougher or the, the market trends have changed. And so they're, they're on this tightrope of wanting to give empowerment to that next level down. But at the same time, the reality is shareholders and, and the market are asking them to, to really step things up. And so there's a tendency to dive into the detail and micromanage uh, with the community that actually you're trying to develop and and help be and feel empowered. And I often say to people, you know, it's not enough just to say, I empower you. I've got to feel that I can take that empowerment. And that requires me to have the capability in the first place. You know, no, no point empowering someone if they're not capable. And then secondly, that baseline trust of saying, actually, I feel trusted and, and I am actually trusting that the person that is saying I empower you really means it. And that is, again, easy to go, yes, of course, we need trust, but much more difficult in practice to, to really nurture and to make sure is there. Yet it is the baseline for empowerment. I, trust's a big one to unpack. I mean, we, we kind of, we're giving ourselves five different episodes of our podcast just in, in one conversation here. A, I agree with you completely. I think the challenge, though, is that a lot of leaders are not very good at letting go and are almost their own worst enemy. And you hear it time and time again that leaders say, we don't, we, we can't seem to empower our people. But then when we talk to their direct reports, the first thing they say is that every decision that we take is second checked or changed. Because trust, in terms of our thinking, is you've got to be that humble you've got to be honest and you've got to be consistent. So if I'm a leader and say, it's your baby, you you can hold it, to then dash in as soon as I get worried isn't going to be very empowering. And all you do over time is you you teach people not to make decisions. And I had this a few years ago with a large UK retailer where the senior team had the opportunity to run the business for three weeks whilst the leader was off and they did nothing. And he came back and he was furious and said, you just sat there. When I spoke to them individually, they said, but there's no point because we know whatever we decide, he will unpick because it's not his way. And that's the challenge that trust is two way, that if I am being given the autonomy, and that's a good word we can dig into, I also need to feel that you are going to trust me to do it. Not that I trust that you, I'm trusted, but I trust you as a leader to leave me alone and actually kind of almost hold your nerve and allow me to fail or succeed rather than constantly hold it. And I think this is one of the challenges with leaders being so busy is the world is so complex that one person can't fly it, to kind of use an analogy. So we've got to devolve, but by devolving, we've got to let go. And be really clear about what you expect, because what I expect, if I'm empowering, might be different, Chris, from what you expect in terms of the amount of communication, involvement, when actually you do need to come to me for input or a decision and where are the scenarios where actually it's totally fine for you to drive and to make the decisions yourself because I've empowered you. And so I think, you know, one of the big things we've been working on practically here is 
giving that clarity between the the leader and the person they're empowering or the community they're empowering to say, in these types of scenarios, this is when I'm fine for you just to have the autonomy to get on with it. We're aligned, you know the outcome, go for it. In these types of scenarios, that's where I'd like to be more involved at different points. And therefore, in these crunch points or at these times, you need to come to me for decisions. So investing that time to have that conversation up front at the beginning of a piece of work or a relationship pays dividends later. And doing all sorts of work in our leadership development around people understanding their kind of user guides of one another and so on really helps and is one of the, the kind of practical ways you can really drive that empowerment forward. But as you say, a whole podcast in its own right. So why don't we pause on that one there and okay. maybe there's a part two and move on to that second big trend around okay. how do I find the time for more strategic thinking? Okay, well, there's a link between the two because if I empower someone, I've suddenly got more time, ideally. And we shouldn't fill that time with just doing more stuff. And, and this is a good tip that if I create, let's say, 10% more time for myself because I step back and trust my team, what do I do with that 10%? And this is the strategic thinking suggestion that we are looking at our leaders for the ideas and for the answers in many cases or the kind of the next step and the next innovation. And they don't have the time, but also they're not necessarily connected to the right people to have the ideas, Jane. Yeah, and in fact, you're so right because you know, time is finite, isn't it? We're never going to have enough time to do everything we want to do, most of us anyway. And therefore, it's about creating that strategic thinking time and really protecting it, really valuing it. And I, I was off with a, a walk and talk coaching session with a, one of the CEOs we worked with recently. And he said to me, oh, Jane, I just am suffering with not enough STT. And STT means strategic thinking time, I discovered. But what, what really was saying here was I'm not creating the time and I'm not creating the space because actually I need to own that. And although there are hundreds of things going on that require my attention, rather than let my STT diminish, <laughs> I actually, say that. indeed I do, um, I, rather than let it diminish, I actually need to create that space. And really what we unpicked was things like, you know, actually, where can you create the space in your diary each yeah. week that is practical, that you can then defend that space because it's at the right time of day, it's in the right environment. And to your point, then, what what do you do with it? And not then getting to that you know, that hour and going, oh, what am I doing today with this with this space? Yeah, we, I mean that's actually dangerous, it. isn't it? That you get the the blank sheet of paper syndrome, where it's akin to what's the first word of your novel? What is your novel about? Or tell me a joke. That the time is the, the the vessel. What are you going to put in it? Yeah, and to your point earlier, a lot of the time, what it might be is creating the space to talk to others that are from a different background, from a different industry, from a completely different walk of life that helps you think differently and that that strategic yeah. thinking happens. So it's not necessarily always alone. It's it's creating the space to be able to have those new connections and keep connections going. A good word is serendipity. And serendipity, as we all know, means the, kind of the, the, the good fortune that happens in front of you and you have these serendipitous moments the word serendipity comes from a story about an indian prince called serendip and it's about his journey and how throughout his journey all these amazing coincidences and really cool things happen as he's going along so 
if you take that as a practical steer, what's your journey of strategic thinking going to look like? Where are you going to go? Who are you going to bump into? What are you going to stumble across and see? It's And it's kind of akin to the, the, the being very strategic about being strategic. So if you look at policing, modern policing, they put very few bobbies on the beat because there's a stat that says a bobby walking around the streets will come across a crime you know, every few years. That's not a great hit rate. And what they actually create is a sense of security rather than actual policing. So the police look at the data. They go and find where the crime is. So being a bit more positive, how are you going to go and find where the strategic ideas are? What's your wellspring? What's your source? What's, as we say, what's your rock pool to go and have a nosy in and turn things over? And within that, don't be afraid to ask others to help connect you to new people. Because we did a piece of work recently where we filled a wall with different faces, people that we felt would be a great inspiration across the global group of execs. And what we did there was re- really get them to think about who of that that wall would they love to talk to and, and why? What, what do they feel that that connection might give them? And it was incredibly rich and diverse. And that came from not only our faculty, but all the people that we know that we'll often say to, is there anyone else that you feel is worth us talking to? Not to generate business, but because they would just give us another perspective on what's going yeah. on in the world. So really, really encouraging you to think as a leader about prioritizing that time to create new connections and nurture them, but also making sure they're from really, really diverse environments. And just to your point, Chris, of just putting yourself out there sometimes into different places yeah. and see what happens. Well, final thing on this point is get yourself a strategic journal. Sadly, it's not as good as it sounds. It's not a, a book that's full of strategic ideas. It's a blank journal that you just write strategic on the front of. But there's a lot of science that says if you make notes, you will remember far better. So as you're meeting these people, draw mind maps, make notes, do lots of scribbles, just bring it to life and capture it. And it sounds simple, but often when we're listening, we're very intent and focused and nodding. And the, all the good ideas are like vapor. And if you're having these rich experiences, make sure you capture it pop- properly. Use something like the um, Otter AI system that will capture the conversation. Record it. Take pictures. Make make yourself this ecosystem of strategic ideas that allows you to dip in and play. You know, use lots of tools that lets you throw all this stuff together. So take a tip from the art world to think about things like mood boards. What's your strategic mood board look like? I love that. And then share it maybe. And give inspiration to others in your organization so that what you're finding out and what inspires you, you can use in your storytelling, which, of course, is definitely a topic that is current and needed. But use it in your storytelling to really bring things to life. Now, the other thing it does, of course, whether you're strategic thinking and and fueling your own ideas and progression or whether it's through others, is it helps fuel you. It helps enrich you as an individual. And that's a huge part of making sure that we can navigate change, that we can continue to lead, to feel like we are making a difference and leaving the legacy that we came into these roles to leave. And and that links actually quite nicely to that third theme around burnout, Chris. Yes. So just be really clear on this. Burnout is not something that happens lightly or is easily overcome. And we talk about burnt out today. True burnout is a devastating situation where someone literally cannot pick themselves off of the floor. So we're seeing it happen. We're talking about the rise of burnout. Days are getting longer. Challenges are getting bigger. And 
whilst we all say, well, you know, leaders are very well paid and they kind of get the recompense for what they're doing, in many ways they don't, because in many ways a leadership role never stops. And there's lots of stats that say particularly women in their mid-30s are the utmost risk of burnout because they are working so hard to both keep wider life and professional life together. So one of the things we talk about with burnout is recognising the warning signs, don't we, Jane? We do. And one of the things that you make me think about when you say that is is the culture that you create mm. as well. So talking to a CEO we're working with at the moment, and, and she was saying, I really am concerned that what we have created is a culture where we burn people out. And she doesn't just mean wear them out. She means truly getting to a point where they're on that red line. And what we've been talking about with her is how that fundamental culture changes so that people can thrive in their world and their total world so that the organization supports them with their total world, not mm. just their work world. And, and that that is not a five minute job. That is a fundamental cultural shift, but one that she really wants to drive forward. And it, it, you know, it's great to be on that journey with her. Now, one of the things that we've started with there is some work with some of the leadership teams. And there's more than one because there's kind of these different communities to help them understand where are their own red lines so what are, the, what are their own experiences, if they reflect, that help them to identify what are those small but significant warning signs, those little red sirens that are going off that we tend to ignore because we're pushing, we're driven, we want to continue to, to add value. But actually, let's understand our own and one another's warning sirens so that we don't get to burnout. So we don't get to true burnout. Yeah. And you know, because by the time you're, you're at the burnout door, it's too late because you've overridden all of those warning signs by the time you get there. So getting really good at knowing what they are and spotting them early, critical. And of course, prevention. So not even needing to get to that point. So, you know, we, we often talk about, as many of you will know, the idea of prevent, notice, shift. And so prevention first, Notice, though, if, if you're getting to that, that, that warning signal zone, notice what's happening and then shift yourself back out very quickly and do the same for your people as well. There's also a big thing about quality. And Japan, they have a word in Japan that literally means death from overwork. And it, it's famously traditionally, now it is shifting, but traditionally Japan has been a long work hours culture where you don't leave until the boss leaves. So everyone's sat staring at a blank monitor waiting for that moment. So quality, not quantity. Jane, top, off the top of your head, which one would you, which country would you say in Europe is one of the most productive, output-focused countries? Germany, hugely so. But I mean, I think we need to be very careful at generalising when it comes to countries. No, no, no. no, no, no. Multiple dimensions here. There are multiple dimensions, but I would agree with you. Germany is... If you look at the figures, it is very good at, at output. Second question, which nation in the world has the shortest working week in terms of hours? Now, that's going to be one of the Nordics, I would imagine. Okay, go on, I guess. I'm going to go for Norway. No. Sweden. No. I could go through them all, but It's I not won't. a Nordic. <laughs> <laughs> it's Germany. So Germany statistically has the shortest working week in terms of hours, but it is statistically one of the best in terms of output. So what it says is they're doing something right in terms of using that time and the quality of what they're delivering. You and I have both worked in Germany quite a lot, and 
the atmosphere generally isn't mad crazy pace, is it? Not on the surface, no. 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 What there is, is that the wave that we often talk about in terms of really pushing, pushing and driving, but then being able to lift up, in fact, and often sort of pause to think more strategically, yes. you know, to, to push, to test something or try something, and then very intentionally pausing to say what's working. What are we learning? Do we continue on that path or do we course correct? And, and actually that is, you know, one of the big things that, that transcends a culture is if you've got that idea of driving, pausing, driving, pausing, yeah. testing, learning, testing, learning, then actually that's an agile culture. But you've got then those pause points to be able to make sure that, that, that business wise, you don't just plow forward when actually a different direction was called for. But also as human beings, you're not just plowing forward and having an on button on constantly, yeah. that you are encouraging others just to stop, to think, to tend to themselves, to enrich themselves a little bit and put in bookends. I mean, this is one of the big things that I've been saying to people recently is, you know, particularly if you're transforming a business, it's going to be a long journey. And But, but if you look at it, you know, there's going to be times when the momentum is needing to be faster, higher than others. So create those bookends, put in some time for your team as well as yourself um, before and after those particular those particular momentum driven moments. And there's something about talent to bring in that quite often it's talent that burns out the quickest because both people who are talented and organizations that have talent tend to run them at 100 percent for as long as possible. We're very bad in business at saying to talent, right, you can do all this stuff. You're great. You're amazing. Keep going, keep going, keep going. And we have the engine running into the red quite quickly, quite and very often. If you then look at the sporting world, the most talented sports professionals in the world will take four years to get to the Olympics. But that's not four years of running the engine at red constantly. It's something like 1% of the time, isn't it? They are actually performing at their peak. Because what sports science will tell you is if you overclock the engine regularly, you just burn out and break. And so if sport can do it, we should try and do it in business as well and think about how do we put the brake on talent? How do we do those peaks and troughs to recognize that rest and recovery are just as important? Yeah, and the people we have in our faculty, which is ever extending in terms of sports professionals, really bring this to life and help people understand that in a way that perhaps, you know, talking from a business perspective doesn't. So I love the fact you've brought that in. Now, listen, I, this is one where we could literally talk for three days, you know, we, and we do on, on a lot of the work that we do with different leaders and organisations. But I think the other thing I, I just want to make sure that we do point out is, of course, there are so many layers to this mm. and you know, not least there are dimensions like the menopause for some people plays a big part, having dependent parents and, and them going on a journey. So this is multidimensional. And of course, your own makeup, your own personality type, your your own place in terms of how you function. So talking yesterday about ADHD, weren't we? And just how if, if you're someone that has ADHD traits, as many of our team do, what that means is that there's an even like bigger likelihood that you're going to keep driving because you can see opportunity and and even though the body needs to slow down, the mind is not. So there are so many dimensions to this to explore. And I would love to do that perhaps in a series of episodes. But for now, I think, you know, the, the summary for me is there are a whole bunch of leadership challenges that we are seeing and helping people with. You will recognize many of them, particularly if you're going through ongoing transition. 
And the, the three that we've talked about are very current. So that empowerment area and empowering the next layers down, including the middle management miracle, if you get it right, the strategic thinking time and prioritizing that, and really having the antennae up to create a culture where burnout is not featuring highly. I think a, a really topical for people right now. Okay, let's draw a line there and just leave one last piece of advice, which is if you're a busy exec and you're going on holiday, pop on your out of office and at the bottom say all emails sent to me over the next two weeks will be deleted. When you come back, if it was important, they'll send it again. Don't blame me if you get in trouble. Uh, well, I particularly like that. However, I <laughs> would not necessarily feel comfortable doing that myself. But there is another I'm going to add to that as a build, which is do say that you're offline and mean it. People can call you, and maybe that's what you do, is you say, call me if there is an emergency. Because legally, if we're a director of a company, we're responsible if something goes wrong. But people can call us rather than email. And and that way, people underneath us in the hierarchy or those that we're asking to, to take some things on know that we are truly empowering them to do so and not, as one leader I work with does, starting something and then it being derailed because you're actually online looking and giving a different opinion your holiday brain's not a very good brain okay thank you very much for listening hopefully you'll tune in soon thank you enjoy the summer thank you for listening continue the journey at www.theculturebuilders.com